You guys excited to be in church? All right, me too. Good, good. Uh, Jesus loved a good party. That's my goal is to convince you of that today. Now, if you've grown up in church, already you're a little uneasy, like, okay, tiger, like Jesus and parties in the same sentence, like, be careful, be careful. But you can go to Luke chapter 15 and read about how God in heaven throws a party every single time one of his kids comes home, right? And you can read all throughout the four gospels about how Jesus always was found reclining at tables with friends and with strangers, having a good time, having real conversation Real conversations, Jesus, the Son of God, loved rowdy dinners and weddings and banquets with his people. God invented partying with a purpose. Can I get an amen from anybody at Red Rocks Austin? Like sometimes we think, like maybe you've been churched for a while and we think that God designed the world without parties, without sex, without wakeboarding, without fun, and said, are you a Christian? Tuck in your shirt and get to church. And that it was the devil who like snuck in and told us about all of these things. But let me remind you that everything that is good and godly comes from above. God gives good gifts, but he gives it with guidelines and with parameters. And I need to say that because I know some of you are like me a few years ago and you're, you're listening for any license that you can find to spend your week like sinning and feeling good about it and still feeling holy. And let me just pump those brakes right now. God gives good gifts, but he gives them with guidelines. Why? Because God is not for your fun. No, I promise you, God is way more for you than you are even for you. He He's simply just trying to line us up with how he designed the universe to work, amen? With how he designed the universe to work. And he gives us, hey, he, he, his heart, like parties are not from hell. Parties are a culture of heaven. He just gives parameters with them so that you don't wake up the next morning with your soul damaged, but rather with your, with your life more full. And that, I don't know who that's for. That might be for a few people. Um, That was for me five years ago. Um, But all I'm saying is God is a God of good parties. And I wanna show you this in Luke chapter 14. We're gonna read the message version of the Bible today. This is Eugene Peterson's translation of Luke 14 because I love the language that he uses. By the way, the holiest version of the Bible is the one that you actually pick up and read this week. And if this week that's the message version, then that is Amazing. And so to set the scene for you, Jesus is eating dinner, classic Jesus, and he's eating dinner with some Pharisees, okay? I love that, at a Pharisee's house. And so Jesus ate meals with tax collectors and sinners, but also with Pharisees, okay? Like the quickest way to become a Pharisee is to hate a Pharisee. But Jesus ate meals with them, and at dinner, he's telling them a story about a a great party, a great banquet with this guy who's kind of like a great Gatsby guy. He's got like a huge mansion with a ton of wealth. He throws parties. And uh, in this parable, Jesus actually is the master, that guy. So here we go. Luke 14, starting in verse 12, the scene is set around the table with a bunch of Pharisees. One of the Pharisees says to Jesus, here we go, verse 12, how fortunate the one who gets to eat dinner in God's kingdom. And you can leave that up, Katie, but let's just stop right there. And let me remind all of us that that's us. How fortunate are the people who get to eat dinner in God's kingdom, right? Like how fortunate the people who know 
that they're going to heaven forever one day, right? Like how, how should that, how much should that change our postures in the here and now? How blessed is the group of people whose, whose life is no longer defined by the sin that they walk in, but rather in the one who has paid the price for that sin? How fortunate are those who get to eat dinner in God's kingdom? And Jesus followed up with that. Yes, right you are. For there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and he invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servant. Pay attention to that guy, okay? He sent out his servant to the invited guests saying, come on in, the food is on the table. The filet mignon, fresh off the grill, unlike any filet mignon, like you don't eat, you don't eat this steak with ketchup, right? Like the greatest filet mignon you've ever had. I have fancy people walking around in white clothes with expensive trays full of phenomenal finger food, like crab cakes, class, 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 who knows, the movie reference, nobody, wedding crashers, not that I've seen it. The dance floor is set up. The DJ is ready to go tonight. We are gonna party. This is where the party is at. And there's plenty of room with more than enough seats at the table for every single, like for you and every single one of your friends, your family, your coworkers, your roommates, your classmates, you have an invitation to this party, not with a plus one, but with a plus infinity, all right? And in this parable, in this parable, Jesus is the master with the mansion, the guy with all the wealth who throws all the best parties, and you, me, we are the servant, in my opinion, with the best job ever, basically just to be sharers of this guy's wealth to go and to invite people to the party. And that's what he does. And at first, you're going to see he gets rejected. Here we go. But they all began to beg off, one after another, making excuses. The first one said, I bought a piece of property and I need to look it over. Send my regrets. I'm grateful for the offer next time for sure. But right now I'm moving. You know how crazy that is. By the way, do you know anybody with a pickup truck, right? Like I'm like, I'm moving right now. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen, and I really need to check them out. Can anybody relate to that this week? <laughs> no? Okay. Send my regrets. What is this? This guy is the guy who, like, wears exhaustion, busyness, and tiredness as, like, a badge of honor. I've been that guy so many times in my life. I'm not proud to say that. And yet another said, I just got married, and I need to get home to my brand new wife. Best excuse so far. I'll give it to him, but still an excuse because basically what that guy's saying is, hey, big life transition right now, big thing happening right now. Like as soon as I get over this one, right? But how many know like you, you, you're always gonna have something big, like a busy season in front of you, right? Like if you're waiting for the perfect opportunity to start following Jesus, you might be waiting for the rest of your life. And, and, and like this guy right here, all these guys, they do not understand the implications of this invitation, which is why the worst thing in the world to be, you guys, is not a sinner, but somebody who thinks they don't need a savior, right? Let's keep going. The servant went back, 
told the master what had happened and he was outraged and he told the servant, quickly, get out into the city streets and the alleys, collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and the homeless and the wretched that you can lay your hands on and bring them here. He's saying, okay, if those people turn you down, then here's what you do. You go invite anybody and everybody. Find everybody that you can, misfits, those who have been pushed aside, knocked to the ground, marginalized, those who feel like they're not part of something, like they're on the outskirts, the fringes of our society, like invite anybody and everybody. Invite the person who's not going to make it through the night if they don't have a hot meal at my table. Those are my people. And that's what the servant does. The servant reported back, master, I did what you commanded and the people are coming. They're coming. And guess what? There is still room. And the master said, okay, then go to the country roads. Do you see like foreshadowing of the Great Commission right here? Go to the ends of the earth. Go to Austin, Texas, everywhere. Whoever you find, drag them in. And then here's the best line. Here's why I'm reading this from the message. I want my house full. I want my house full. And so now every time you watch the 90s sitcom, Full House, You'd be reminded that the, the name of that television show lines up directly with the heart of God. Like, like, like just like Danny Tanner in a less cheesy, more epic kind of way, God wants his house full. The servant said, Master, we invited a ton of people, but it seems like the more and more people we invite, like the bigger and bigger this table gets. Like, what's happening? And God would say, I know I designed it that way. Isn't it amazing? Like at first I went to Crate and Barrel and the tables were super trendy, but a little overpriced. And so I went to Ikea, much more practical, but the, but the thought of Allen wrenching together a table that seats like a billion people, like no thank you, right? And so in the end, I just realized, oh wait, I'm God. I breathe stars out of my mouth. I can, I can just speak a magic table into existence that seats billions of people and just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The more people that come, it accompanies for everybody. So please keep inviting because once again, I want my house full. The heart of God is to invite the people in your life to dine at the table with Jesus. Amen, amen, all right. If Samara amens, we all gotta start clapping. That's the rule. That's the rule at this service. If somebody else amens, I, I don't have the authority to tell everybody to clap. But if she does, you know it's good. The heart of God is to invite the people in your life to dine at the table with Jesus. So like if there's somebody in your life that you're like, man, maybe God's calling me to share my faith or to talk about God or to invite to church. Like, like imagine you guys, just for a second, if we were the kind of church, the kind of people who just erred on the side of action when it comes to just about like, like, like we just assumed the light was green, not waiting for like God to split the sky in half and audibly tell us to do something. Like when it comes to like sharing our faith and inviting people to church and serving and giving and like even like, I, like adopting, I don't know who that's for, I don't know who that's for, but like, like if you feel like, man, maybe God, you're calling me to adopt one day. What if you don't need God to like audibly tell you to do that because he already told you in James 1.27 that true religion is taking care of the widows and orphans. Like, could you imagine if we were the kind of people who just erred on the side of action always, like with great commission stuff, like a church where the doors are always wide, what God could do with that kind of people. This is his heart, the great commission he left us with take the gospel 
and run with it. We have the ultimate job, the ultimate job. And far more than an obligation, this is the greatest privilege, the greatest privilege and of utmost importance. Uh, Katie, can you put up Matthew chapter five? Uh, This is 14, 15, and 16. He's talking to Christians here, okay? And this is Jesus. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so he's painting a picture of a world that is dark and saying, but Christians are the light of the world. Okay, and you can go read in Acts chapter 17. We don't have time to get into it about how God ordained the time that you would be alive in history and where you would be, which means in 2019, you are planted in Austin, Texas, right? I can't speak for 2020, but I know God has you here right now because he is a divine engineer who does not make mistakes. He places his lights carefully, okay? Like, if you can, look up at the ceiling with me really quick. All these lights that whoever the engineer or architect of this building was, I don't know, but he did a great job. But he placed, like, with great forethought, very carefully, every light exactly where it's supposed to be. He's not putting lights in the closet or putting a light on the ground and covering it with a bowl, right? He's putting it in places where even at 3 a.m. when it's pitch black outside, you could flip the light switch and this whole place would light up, right? This whole place would light up. Guys, like our world, we live in a dark world and and we like even corporate America where a lot of us find ourselves, like that's the sphere a lot of you find yourselves in is a dark, is a dark place, right? And you might say like, oh man, my work, you have no idea how dark it is where I work and God would say, good, that's why I put a light there. That's why I put you there, but it's dark. And just to give you some context around that, I've had the privilege of getting to do ministry in some of the places that we would call the darkest places on this planet. And that's not because I'm a good Christian or even good at evangelism. You'll just be amazed at some of the places you find yourself when you just say, I'm willing, and, and you say yes to God and assume that the light is green because he does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called, right? And, and, and anyways, I've been, I've met witch doctors in Haiti. I've prayed over pimps and slaves in India. I've walked through the red light districts in Amsterdam, right? Like for, in, in fact, for one year, me, Ryan and Ethan, we were like, man, we wanna just live this Christianity thing out like, like as radically as we know how. And so for one year, let's go everywhere. Let's go everywhere we can think of and let's boldly like proclaim the name of Jesus and pray for people and let's live this thing out. And for one year, that's exactly what we did. And then we got home. And then I needed a job. And so I got one, which you should do, at the Mediterranean restaurant in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, we can talk the menu later. I still have suggestions if you ever go there, the lamb shank. Um, And I was there for a, a period of a year, but for the first, I learned uh, maybe one of the most valuable hard-learned lessons of my walk with Jesus so far, six months in, because for the first half of my time there, I spent every night, every dinner shift, just complaining to God, like, God, I've just, I've done 
internships for like no money for like three years and just traveled the world like doing, I was a missionary in Africa, God, and now I'm waiting tables like this is a waste of my time. I wanna do ministry. Like, God, can you hear me, right? Like, God, I hate this. The only good thing about this job is my buddy Adam, who I work with, and only because we can go into the kitchen and complain and make jokes about all the customers that are annoying us. But God, earth to God, I don't like being here, right? And I, like, we, I don't have time to get into the whole story, but I had <laughs> this wake-up call, man. It was like the Holy Spirit. It was like a spiritual like slap in the face, all right, in the best way. It was almost like God was like, hey, earth to Doug. <laughs> earth to the world-traveling missionary, what makes this different than India? What makes this different than Haiti? Like, just so you know, you're not here just so you can bring lamb shanks to people with a smile and on time. You're here because I thought you were a missionary. I thought you wanted to do ministry. And while you're wasting time until that day, the people that you work with are broken and, and hurting and in need of Jesus, right? You're here right now because like it or not, you are now the lead pastor of the Mediterranean restaurant in Boulder, Colorado. You're the lead pastor. And so like whatever your sphere is, guys, whether like if you're in corporate America in a hospital, you sell insurance, you wait tables, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom, you, you, you go to school, whatever it is, I christen you, Christian, the lead pastor of wherever you might find yourself this week. You are there because God needs a missionary there. You are there because the divine engineer knows what he's doing when he places his lights across a dark world. We are the light of the world, amen? The light of the world, love it. And I, I, I remember I, I started praying, okay, because that'll change your perspective, right, when you go to work like that. And I remember starting to pray like, God, okay, open up doors for me to have conversations. And I dare you to pray that this week because that will get answered if you pray that. And two days later, I'm in the kitchen with Adam rolling silverware. And we're just talking about something. I don't remember what, but then he just kind of stops and he looks at me and he says, bro, so you're like super religious, huh? <laughs> I love that. And I, I remember so clearly, guys, I got to say to him, no, I just, I love God and I know him. And maybe you and I could hang out after work and I could tell you how that's possible. And we did, and I got to. Um, two days after that, um, I was uh, splitting a, a section of tables with my friend Katie, and we ran into each other in the kitchen, and she's very forward, very forward, just kind of no filter kind of person, which I love, by the way. And, uh, and she said, okay, you're a Christian, Doug? And it only took him six months to realize that I was a Christian, that it's not good, but... Um, on my end, um, she said, you're a Christian, so you're honestly gonna tell me that you and your girlfriend don't have sex? And, and I said, I laughed, I was like, I love this, I love this, and I said, no, we don't. And it's horrible, Katie, it is horrible. And this is why Christians statistically have the shortest engagements of any group of people. I don't know if that's true, I would bet everything that it is, though. And then that led to 
a conversation as to why the heck would you live that way? Well, let me tell you. It was Charles Spurgeon who said this, you're either a missionary or a mission field, right? Like missionaries are not like the the really good Christians that we send to the, the darkest corners of this world to preach the gospel. Missionaries, like if you're a Christian and you know Jesus, the, the, the main reason you still have breath in your lungs is because you're somebody's invitation to heaven. You're either a missionary or you need one, right? Do you shine like a light in your sphere or do you not? When you're with your non-Christian friends, do you stand out at all and make them wonder what's different about you or do you fit in in every way? This has been a very convicting week for me, by the way. You're either a missionary or you need one. But we have the ultimate job, we really do. I'm trying to convince you more than an obligation, this is the greatest privilege. Hear my heart say that the greatest privilege. And I'm thinking, okay, why is it so tough though? Why do we get so scared to share our faith? And I think, okay, and here's why. Historically, Christians do not have a reputation of being the most fun-loving group of people, right? We should be, like who has more of a reason to be fun and happy than people who know that they're gonna party with God in the kingdom of God for the rest of forever, right? Who has more of a reason than us? But historically, that's not our reputation or being super welcoming or being super not judgy, okay? But right now, like in Austin, let's just be real. That's the reputation that Christians have when you're somebody on the outside looking in. And so I think a lot of us are like, man, I want to. I'm just so afraid that I'm gonna invite somebody or I'm gonna share my faith or I'm just gonna start a conversation and let them know that I believe in Jesus and they're gonna think that I'm just like, I'm one of those judgmental Christians that they met years ago. And I'm terrified of that. And that's real. And I get that completely. But this is too big of a thing, you guys. This is too important of a thing to let fear call the shots for you when it comes to being an invitation for somebody to know Jesus for the first time. I'm thinking like, man, why do I get so scared? Am I scared of like the the auto response, no? Hey man, you wanna come to church? No, okay. Like worst case, hey man, you wanna come to church? Well, I'll get struck by lightning, bro, if I walk in there. I'll get judged if I come to your church. Oh, actually, we're just a bunch of imperfect people trying to pursue a perfect God. I throw that out all the time. Put that in your toolbox, right? Hey, man, you wanna come to church? (laughs) Yeah, right, dude. God just wants my money. I've been to church before. God just wants my money. Oh, God wants your money? How much money do you have that God needs it? (laughs) Hey, man, (laughs) you wanna come to church? Yeah, sure, as soon as you can explain predestination and why a loving and good God would allow bad and evil things to happen in this world. Oh, well, if you come to church, there's a pastor named Ryan and he can explain all of that stuff to you. I'll introduce you. You might be surprised. Come and just experience, experience what God thinks about you. This is why we're alive. This is why any of us still have air in our lungs. Like we get to do a lot of cool things in this lifetime, a lot of common graces, whether you're a Christian or not, that God allows us to experience, right? Like things like developing relationships and connecting with people or getting married or having a baby like Ian Steph just did like three hours ago, which is crazy. Or like, 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 
like buying a home or listening to music or eating good food or buying a puppy and having a puppy with unconditional love, like lick your face, like, oh my gosh, guys, life can be good. Wakeboarding, oh my gosh, like there are so many good things to experience on this planet while we're alive, but none of those things is why Jesus is waiting to come back. Jesus is not patiently waiting to come back so you can get married, right? That's important, but that's not why he's waiting. He's not waiting for, to come back so that you can go on that vacation because I know you've been saving up and looking forward to it, bro. He's not waiting to come back so you can go wakeboarding this summer, right? Jesus, there's one reason, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is patiently waiting to come back. And it's, I've said it a hundred times, it's because he wants his house full. He wants his house full. He's patient for one reason, and that's it. We are the servants in that parable, guys, with the, the greatest privilege, much more than an obligation, the greatest privilege to be sharers of the most important thing that we know, the mo most important thing about us. This is the greatest news in the world, right? And it's too big to let fear call the shots on whether or not you want to invite. And so I saw this video this week, and uh, it spoke to me in a way that might not be clear at first, but I'll explain after. And so check this out and try not to cry. Yep. What about Lynn's voice? Can you hear mine? Keep going. Oh, do you want me to talk some more? <laughs> oh, really?
Yeah, I watched that like 20 times over the past three days. Cried every time. Um, yeah, you're welcome. For obvious reasons. Uh, in a less obvious way, I see that, and I see a picture of salvation um, relating going from being deaf without sound and noise for your entire life to all of a sudden, in one moment, your life has noise and sound, and you can hear music, you can hear a saxophone, you can hear like the sound of your own voice, the sound of your mom's voice or your husband's voice for the very first time, and you are not the same moving forward after that, relating that to, to salvation, and I still remember where I was, it was a Tuesday night, 2008, in Boulder, Colorado, while Hillsong United's song uh, from the inside out was playing, and something clicked in my heart in one moment where I realized that not only is there a God, but he, he, he's real, and he's for me, and he has plans for me, and this <laughs> one moment where everything suddenly changes and you go from, it's like going from having like a, a small black and white TV to an 85 inch 4K color screen. You will never be the same from that moment, from that moment on. And the doctors who, who get to be in those rooms with the cochlear implants and, and share those with, with patients and, and watch them hear noise for the very first time, that is one of the greatest jobs on this planet. It has to be one of the best jobs. Like no doctor like is timid about offering that kind of a gift, right? You don't offer something like that apologetically to somebody, right? The best job ever, like the servant from the parable, the best job, the greatest privilege, like us with this news about Jesus Christ as lights in a dark world, so much more than an obligation, the greatest privilege. We have the opportunity to share the news and invite people to the banquet of a lifetime. And there's a lot of things about life that are fun. We've already covered some. Puppies, wakeboarding. But I don't know if you've ever experienced it. There's nothing quite like sitting across a cup of coffee from somebody, sharing your faith and watching it click in somebody's eyes for the very first time that not only is there a God, but he's actually not mad at me and loves me and likes me. And this is for me. Like, are you serious? This is for me? Like, that'll do something to you, man. That's why Jesus says, hey, the, like to the ends of the earth, go share my love with people, right? Be a light in Austin to the ends of the earth. And as you do that, I will be with you. And so if you feel like kind of stuck or bored in your faith or in your life right now, that, that should be an oxymoron. Bored Christians, if you're really following Jesus, we should never be bored, right? And I, I'm telling you, if that's you, try the Great Commission this week. 
If you feel like, man, I just wish I had more purpose in my life, try your purpose this week. Try the Great Commission this week. And I've said this a lot, but since moving to Austin, I have been scared every single day. You wanna talk about like waking up in the morning and having to fix your focus and incline your heart? Like that's been me since July 1st of last year, since moving here, so scared every day. But, and I can say this with all the integrity in my heart, I have also never felt this alive in my entire life. Jesus says, as you do that, as you go, I will be with you. Man, you wanna experience the Holy Spirit in your life? Wait until you're sitting across that cup of coffee or you're at work or you're about to make that call and your hands are shaking and so clammy because you're about to to do it and you'll be amazed at how you experience the Holy Spirit in that moment, right? And if you're here and you don't know Jesus and maybe you've been invited by somebody who does, um, you can can speak to, to God Anytime it can be right now during worship in the car on the way home. Um, our goal is to, to try to build a, a space, a home where you can experience what he actually thinks about you. That this is true, not just for the people in this room, but for you also. You are a child of God. He's obsessed with you and that obsession remains whether you acknowledge it or not today, tomorrow, this week. But he has plans for you and you're always welcome here. For those of us who do know Jesus, the Great Commission, far more than an obligation, the greatest privilege that we have. I I have, and right here, I have a love-hate relationship with uh, these kind of Great Commission, let's invite people kind of messages, a love-hate relationship. Um, And uh, you just have to like trust our heart. I I pray and I hope you do. we, we have no desire just to like, to build a church full of people. We, we, we're here because we wanna invite people home. Like I, I sometimes wish I could do something else. I can't, I can't, I can't do anything else with my life. But I have a, a love-hate relationship with Great Commission kind of talks because usually, not usually, sometimes they're done in a, a fear-based kind of way. Like, If you were to die tomorrow, church, do you know where you're spending eternity? Eternity, smoking or non, right? (laughs) That's real. You've seen the, the, the billboards. Like Jesus could come back this week, church. Who are you inviting? And... And a part of me, like, I, I, get, I get it because that's real. It just is. Heaven and hell are real eternal destinations. And every person who's ever lived throughout history will be in one of those two. And it's possible to RSVP yes. It's also possible to RSVP no. And, and Jesus even had urgency because of that, right? Let's just be honest, like Paul in all of his letters was, was very urgent. Like he felt like a mission in his heart. Like I can't do anything but promote the gospel. To live is Christ, to die is gain. While I'm here, while I'm living, Christ is everything. I can't do anything else with my life. And he felt urgency. I sometimes picture my conversation with Paul one day in heaven. And how I don't want it to go is, hey, Paul, what's up? And he asked me like, hey, uh, like, you had a hard time sharing your faith. Why was that? It's because they tried to stone you and flog you. Is that it? And I'd be like, uh, no, that never happened. They threw you in jail, huh? Me too, man. Happened like a hundred times. Uh, no, Paul, I never got thrown in jail for my faith. They wanted you dead, huh? 
They killed me for it, man. What, Paul? No, no, no flogging, no jail time, no, no death threats, none of that. Okay, well then why? Like, what? Like, why didn't you share the most important thing in your life with the most important people in your life? I don't know. I was afraid of being weird. You're afraid to, like, in a city that celebrates weirdness, you are afraid to be weird about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like, whoo, like, oh, like, I don't want to have that conversation one day, right? And so Paul was urgent, like, he felt, he felt urgency, and that's real. This isn't a game. This isn't a game. We, we all stand on the brink of eternity with every single breath, Right? But here's the thing, because that's oftentimes fear-based. And I've sat beneath some teachings on that that were fear-based, like my friend's salvation is all on me. (laughs) And you can't go to bed at night with that kind of burden on your shoulders. Salvation is in God's hands. That is his job. Our job is simply to be agents of invitation and agents of introduction to introduce our people to their savior, right? That's our job. And so let me free you up from the the fear burden because here's what I believe. I believe like our church, man, you'll hear this, I pray, resonate in all of these teachings. I, I, I just believe not only will you enjoy God more right now, but you'll be way more effective at the Great Commission if your motivation is love and not fear. We don't love God because we're afraid of hell. We, we love God because he's everything, man. So amazing. So come taste and see that the Lord is good, that God wants his house full. You've RSVP'd, yes, and now you have a plus infinity and there's plenty of room at the table and everybody, from the beggar to the king, from the famous to the faceless, all human beings need love. And love is exactly what our God is. At this church, the door will always be wide, right? The door will, it will always be easy to belong. It will always be easy to invite your friends to, whoever you are, every single race, every generation, every zip code. You can show up wearing a tank top and board shorts or a three-piece suit. It's all awesome. It is all deadly at this place. So let us go into our spheres of influence tomorrow as pockets of heaven, as lights strategically placed by a divine designer right here, right now in our dark world. And as we do that, we might just be known in Austin or be a part of a, of, a, of a collection of amazing churches in Austin that are truly known as a light on a hill leading people home to Jesus, amen? Would you guys stand? I'm gonna pray um, and then we're gonna worship. And as we worship, um, what we're doing today is we are celebrating the fact that if you know Jesus, you have a seat at the table. It has your name on it. It will not be taken from you for the rest of forever. And you have reason to smile. You have reason to celebrate today, regardless of what is happening out there that can wait. There is reason to sing with all of your heart and give thanks to this God who is so amazing, guys, for the rest of forever with our God in his kingdom. And whoever you are, wherever you find yourself tomorrow, I 
by Chris and you, the lead pastor of that place, okay? The lead, God has placed you there for such a time as this. For such a time as this. This is your purpose. This is why there is still air in your lungs. All the other things that come along with life, the good graces that God gives us is amazing, but the main reason Jesus is patiently waiting to come back is for that sole purpose of him wanting his house full. So God, we love you. 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 Thank you for being so generous with all that you have. Thank you that we're home. And teach us, God, how to design a church where the doors will always be wide for anybody and everybody to experience what you think about them the moment they park their car in the parking lot. I don't know what you're speaking to every individual person about their upcoming week. I know what it is for me, but I just trust, Holy Spirit, that you are speaking to all of us right now during worship. We love you and we sing because we celebrate. The glory is yours, the fame is yours. Thank you for letting us come along. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.